All right, well, this morning, um, first of all, if you have a Bible, let's start right there. Open up your Bible. Find Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Okay, we're going to start in chapter 6, 1 Timothy, chapter 6. We're going to look at three different passages this morning, two in 1 Timothy, one in 2 Timothy. Uh, Timothy, both of those books are in the second part of your Bible, right? The New Testament. We have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, and it's close to the end. So if you open up your paper Bible close to the end, you should find that. 1 Timothy 6, find that. We'll be at that in just a minute. But this morning, we're continuing a series of messages that we've titled, Go for the Gold. I just got, uh, I have the uh, Olympic app on my phone, and I just got a notification right before service started that said, Goodbye Tokyo, hello Paris. The Olympics are done the Summer Olympics, but we are, we're partnering, we're kind of paralleling this idea in this series of athletics and our Christian faith. Like, what does it look like for us to go for the gold when it comes to living for God? And this idea of paralleling athletics and, um, and the life of God, how God wants us to live, it's not new. It's not a new thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul, like 2,000 years ago, he wrote this to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with a purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Now, this discipline that Paul talks about with these athletes is, it's, it's amazing, the discipline that athletes have. It's, it's what leads to stories like this. Check this out. There's a swimmer from Tunisia. He, uh, his name is Ahmed Hafnawi. He won gold in the 400-meter freestyle swim run. And you might be thinking, big deal. Like, so what's your point? There was a lot of gold medals. But listen, this guy shouldn't even have been in the finals. He qualified for the last spot, the eighth spot in the finals, by 14 hundredths of a second. And no one, no one picked this guy to win. Why? Because no one thought that he was going to swim two whole seconds faster in the finals. He was two seconds slower in all the qualifying to the people at the very top, the number one and two qualifiers. And then he swims a whole two seconds faster and he wins the gold, the gold medal. And so they asked, uh, they asked the bronze medal winner in this event, who was the American Kieran Smith. They said, hey, so what do you know about this guy? And he's like, nothing. I've never even heard of him before. Guess what? He has now. Dude's got gold. Like, that's crazy, right? Okay, you also have Flora Duffy. Amazing story. Flora Duffy won the very first gold medal for her country, Bermuda. Bermuda is now the smallest country in the world to ever have won a gold medal. Now, this lady, she won the gold medal in the triathlon. Can anybody say, huh? <laughs> Right? Like, think about this. Okay, we don't, we don't do kilometers very well in, in the U.S., right? But she, she swam for about a mile. She biked for 25 miles and then ran for six miles. And she did it in just under two hours. I'm pretty sure I would have done that just under, oh, wait, I die. Right? Like, come on. No way. 
Okay, then you have a 13-year-old Olympic skateboarder, Momiji Nishia. She is now tied for the youngest ever to win a gold medal. 13 years old, she won it in skateboarding. This last week, um, there was a 12-year-old boy who competed in the individual skateboarding contest, and he was, he was very likely going to take the youngest gold ever away from this girl but he took second, he was silver, 12-year-old silver. What a loser, right? I mean, come on, 12 and 13 years old. These are sixth graders, sixth graders winning Olympic gold. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Oksana Chusevatina. She's a gymnast from Uzbekistan. She just completed, competed in her eighth Olympics, eighth. Let's do the math for a second. Olympics every four years, times eight. She's been in the Olympics for 32 years. She's been competing since the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. 46 years old, oldest ever Olympian. 46 is old. Just kidding. <laughs> I was waiting for some people to just stand up and walk out. Okay, 46 is not old, right? 46 is not old at all, but we're talking about an Olympian. Like, I know 46-year-olds who stand up and they're like, oh, I think I pulled something. And this chick is like doing flips and stuff. That's insane. It's impressive. And there are all sorts of amazing stories of people who heard this phrase, go for the gold, and worked their butts off to make it happen, the discipline. So in just a minute, I'm going to read something to you. We're going to look at God's word to see how we can um, kind of have this perseverance, how we can keep our focus on the gold that God has for us. But before we get into that, uh, I was reading a book earlier this week, and I preached this same message, by the way, last week in Sock Center to the, to the uh, congregation there, but I'm adding something because I read this book just this last week, and it's called The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And it's talking about trust, and he just says in your relationships, and, and I translated to even when I'm speaking to a group of people, it is so important that they trust you. When you're talking to somebody, it's so important that they trust you. If they don't trust you, what you say, it, it could be taking, taken wrong, or it could be, uh, or, or not even heard, right? And one of the main things when it comes to trusting people is their motive, Right? Like if someone does something stupid, but they had, you, you heard it said like, oh, but their heart was in the right place, right? We have a little bit of grace for those people. Uh, and, and I think one of the things that's really important, and it's, it's amazing how many times, and I know you've had this too, like we'll be sitting in our staff meetings on Tuesday mornings and, and Pastor Kyle will be like, I really want to say this to people, but I don't want them to think this. And then what do we usually say to them? Well, tell them that. Tell them that. Like, if that's what you want, if you don't want them to hear this, say, hey, this is what I'm trying to make. I don't want you to feel this way. So this morning, I want you to trust me. I want you to understand my heart in what I'm about to say. Because some of the things that I might say today might be a little bit uncomfy. And I don't say it to be mean. Like, I am not a pastor for the money. Believe you me, I'm not a pastor I'm not a pastor so that I can get on stage and people listen to me and look at me. Listen, I am a pastor, and I, I, I pray that you believe me. I'm a pastor because I care about people, and I care about people's relationship with Jesus. My brother's sitting right here. You can ask him. I was going to school to be in forensic sciences. 
I was going to be living in the big city, working in police. I was going to be making buco bucks and all this thing, and God called me to be a pastor. I am not a pastor for any other reason that God wants me to help people come closer to Christ. So whatever I say to you this morning, whatever God speaks through me, please, please understand that is my heart in all of this. Deal? Here it is. I want us to start by reading 1 Timothy chapter 6. And out of respect for God's word, would you just stand with me for one moment? We're going to read two verses together. So this is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he is writing to his young protege, Timothy. Here's what it says. Oh, Timothy, oh, Timothy, guard the doctrine which has been entrusted to you, avoiding profane, empty babblings and contradictions of false knowledge that is called science through which some who are personally professing these false views have missed the mark concerning the faith. Grace be with you, amen. That's how he finishes his letter. Grace be with you, amen. Oh, just, like, this is a big deal, Timothy. Don't ever fall away from these. Don't let anybody else teach these false things. Okay, grace be with you, amen. Okay, great. <laughs> so we're going to look at that, but let's pray. Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you today. Uh, we need you to guide us. Direct us, and I pray, I pray that we will put our eyes on you and know that you have the answers that we're looking for in this life. You know the direction we should go. Speak to us today. Help me to speak the words that you want me to speak today, and we pray this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You may have a seat. All right, so one, one sport that has really become popular, um, I'm not so, so sure, you guys can help me out here in Long Prairie, but especially over in Sox Center, it, is, it has exploded the popularity of this sport. It's actually been around since the 1900s in the Olympics, and I am talking about archery, archery. Do you guys have archery in your schools here in Long Prairie? Does anybody know? No? No? No, come on, you're a student. Isaac, no, no. Okay, in Sock Center, we have, um, oh, sorry about that. We have this young man who is, uh, I believe he's 13 years old, and he just, he, he won the state tournament, took first place. He went to the national tournament, I believe it was in California, took first place in the nation. And then he went to the world tournament, world tournament tournament against all these other elementary school archers, and the kid took 11th, and he was devastated because he shot so poorly. <sighs> so this is, this is becoming a big deal, this sport, in, in, uh, in Sox Center now. And um, in the Olympics, there's two different types of archery. You have the individual, and you have the team, okay? And in the individual round, or in the individual competition, they have a qualifying round. And in the qualifiers, you shoot 72 arrows, 72. I practiced a little bit here over the last couple weeks, and I would shoot five arrows, and my, my arms were tired after five. These guys would shoot 72 arrows. And there was um, a woman from South Korea in the qualifying round. She sent a, set an Olympic record. She shot 680 points. You get 10 points for the middle, and it goes out from there. So this girl shot about half tens and half nines. Amazing. From 70 meters. That's like 210 feet with just a little sight on the end. It was, it was crazy. So in the knockout round now, once you get through qualifying in the knockout round, whether it's team or individual, you go back and forth, and you shoot either four arrows or six arrows each. And then, um, so it's like one person shoots, and then the next person shoots, and then the next person, and you keep going, and you, get, you, you add up your score, and at the end, whoever has the highest score wins a set, 
a set is either that four or six arrows. If you win the set, you get two points. If you tie the set, you get one point. First person to five points wins. So you have to win two sets and at least tie one set. Okay? Crazy thing. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to really quick, we're going to watch like a one-minute-long clip of the, uh, the mixed team gold medal round, the very last round. Check this out. Dead center of the target from Schlosser, who asks the question, have Korea got the answer? Oh, oh. If Ansan can finish this off this with is a the girl perfect that got the set, 680. she the Dutch, broke the record. Well, you just have to say you're beaten by the better side. But it's enough to give Korea the inaugural team, mixed team gold medal. Okay, so they, they split that set, right? They both scored 39, so they each got one point, and South Korea had won two sets before that, and the Netherlands won. And so South Korea won the gold mixed team medal. Now, so you just saw um, some Olympic archery. Now I'm going to show you how it's really done, okay? We're just going to leave those there. We're going to come back to those in a little bit. We're going to use them as an illustration. But earlier, we read two verses from a letter written from the Apostle Paul to his protege, Timothy. Timothy is a young man who was traveling with Paul for quite a while to assist him in starting churches all around modern-day Greece, Turkey, and North Macedonia. And when, when Paul writes these two letters, First and Second Timothy, we know from a verse that I'm going to read in just a moment where they were. Timothy is, is in Ephesus, and Paul is in Macedonia. You can see the stars there. Timothy's in the bottom there, and Paul is up in the top. So Paul's writing, excuse me, these letters to Timothy. Now, Paul writes a number, about a number of different things in these letters that, that's going to help Timothy um, lead these churches in the area of Ephesus. But today we're going to look at one area that pops up a few different times in his letters. There's a word that Paul uses in his writings to Timothy that isn't found anywhere else in the Bible. Nowhere else. Paul uses it three different times, twice in 1 Timothy, once in 2 Timothy, um, 1 Timothy 6.21 that we read earlier, 1 Timothy 1.6, and then once in 2 Timothy 2.18. And I'm going to show you all of these passages, and then I'll show you what word we're looking at. And if you want to play a little game this morning, you can try to guess which word that we're thinking of. Okay, so as we're reading, see if you can figure out what word we're going to be talking about today. So here's the one we read earlier, 1 Timothy 6.20 and 21. It says, O Timothy, guard the doctrine which has been entrusted to you, avoiding profane, empty babblings and contradictions of false knowledge that is called science. 
through which some who are personally professing these false views have missed the mark concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. Now here it is again in 1 Timothy 3, uh, 1, 3 through 6. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. So there's where we know where Paul and Timothy are at. Those are the locations. So that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. And then lastly, we have 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 18. Avoid worthless Foolish talk that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. Anybody think they know where we got? I'm not going to ask you, but I, I don't think you do, because I need you to remember. Okay, first of all, this is the only place... In the Bible, these three places, only place in the Bible this word is used. And you also have to remember this, and this is the tricky part. Paul is not writing in English, right? Paul is writing in the language of Greek. He's writing in Greek. And so we have a Greek word that is actually translated into a little bit longer of a phrase. And so when we were reading, we're looking at more like three words, usually. Um, but this Greek word that Paul uses only in these three places in the entire Bible is the word ostacheo. Ostacheo. And some of you are like, I knew that was the word, right? <laughs> no. Uh, ostacheo. Well, when we, when we break this word down, we can actually see what the real, literal translation means. So the letter A, first of all, right? Ostacheo. The letter A is, in the Greek language, it's like a prefix. Like our um, prefix un, U-N. So when we say the word like, unsatisfactory or unstable. We are saying it's not satisfactory or not stable. So the word ostacheo is telling us that something is not whatever the second half of that word means, okay? And the second half of that word, stacheo, comes from the root word stachos, stachos, which means target. So ostacheo literally means not on target, not on target. Paul is saying that something is just off a little bit. It's, it's not going in the right direction. It's not on target. And I want to show you where these words pop up in these verses, okay? I'm going to read through them really quick again. Um, 1 Timothy 6, 20, 21. O Timothy, guard the doctrine which has been entrusted to you, avoiding profane, empty babblings and contradictions of false knowledge that is called science, through which some who are personally professing these false views have missed the mark concerning the faith. Grace be with you, amen. Here it's translated, missed the mark. 1 Timothy 1, 3-6. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may change, uh, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from... These have wandered away into vain discussion. So here we have swerved from. And then the last one, 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 18. Avoid worthless talk, foolish talk, um, that only leads to more godless behavior. This kind of talk spreads like cancer, as in the case of these two yehus. They have left the path. They have left the path of truth, 
claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred in this way. They have turned some people from the faith. So here we have it translated as left the path. So in each of these verses, it's translated a little bit different. Osticeo means something a little bit it's translated as something a little bit different, but it still means the same thing. It still has the same idea. So here's, here's basically what it is. Some are professing false views, and they are not on target. Some are not on target because they have wandered into pointless discussion. Some are not on target with the truth because they're claiming the resurrection has already occurred. occurred. Do, you, do you see a theme here? Whenever he uses the word osticeo, Paul is talking about people believing or teaching something that is false, false teaching, false beliefs. And Paul is using this word not on target, and he's writing this about this topic to Timothy. He does it over and over because it was a big issue for that time for multiple reasons, and I'm going to share a few of those reasons with you right now. First one is this. The Roman Empire was the superpower of the time. Okay? They had their Greek gods that they worshipped. Now some of you might be saying, Roman gods. Okay, the Romans basically took the Greek gods and renamed them. Okay, same thing. They're worshipping these Greek Roman gods. Um, they did all these sacrifices to all these different gods to appease them for different areas, right? Like the goddess of fertility, the god of the harvest, the god of war. They would do sacrifices to these gods. Now these are some of the myths that Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy 1.4. Some of the myths that people have started to devote themselves to. You also had the Greek culture in the time of Timothy that was, uh, they were all about philosophy and big thinkers, right? They would literally sit around, some of them would sit around all day and just think and discuss and argue and debate. And some of you are like, wow, that sounds amazing. And I'm just like, ugh, that sounds awful. Now, some Greek philosophy, was a, it, it was a big deal. It, it has impacted our world greatly, and it was good. But, but there was a bunch of talk that was just arguing about things that were not important. And they were just a waste of time. And, and this Greek philosophy kind of mumbo-jumbo type of stuff is some of the stuff that Paul is talking about when he, he says in 1 Timothy 6.20, he talks about empty babblings, right? And then... And then, probably the biggest one in my mind, you had these early Christians who had just come out of the Jewish religion, right? Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was a Jew. And so when Jesus died on the cross, people started following him and they became Christians. And some of these converts would drag some of their old religious laws with them that were not applicable anymore because Jesus died for their sin, and again, we see Paul talking about this in his writings where he talks about the doctrines and the genealogies that lead to pointless uh, speculation, right? And so we have this Greek religion and the Greek philosophy where ev they, they were everywhere. And then you have these Jewish uh, people that become Christians and they kind of went back to that because it's what they knew. It makes sense. It's, they're going back to kind of what they knew. And this caused them to be ostacheo, off target. Okay, I want to show you something here. Okay, this, this target right here. In archery, they, the, the yellow part here, the bullseye, is often called the gold, okay, because it's yellow. Uh, so our 
sermon title, sermon series title, Go for the Gold, has multiple meanings when we're talking about archery, right? You're going for the gold medal, but you're also going for the gold. In fact, in archery, like, there is a, a mentality, a, an affliction, a, uh, a problem that some professional archers have. You see, when you're, when you're aiming at the target, especially from 70 meters away, the way you're supposed to do this is you're supposed to, you know, get your anchor point, and then you hold, and you, and you move a little bit, right? Like, you can't stay perfectly still, and so what you're supposed to do is let your uh, sights just kind of hover over the gold, the bullseye, until you can completely calm yourself and be still. When professional archers start to struggle a little bit with that and they shoot a couple arrows that are off, they struggle to hold and wait. They have this thing called gold fever. Gold fever. Like as soon as they see that their sight is in the gold, they just let go right away. They don't wait. And so they don't have the perfect aim before they let go and they miss. Okay, so this is kind of like if, if you're a baseball player or if you're a golfer, you know anything about that, the yips. You ever heard of the yips? You got like baseball players who can't even make a throw from second base. Like, come on, Chuck Knobloch, if you know what I'm talking about, right? They moved that dirt ball to the outfield because he couldn't make the easiest throw from second to first. He'd make this play, he'd field the ground ball, and then he'd be like, and like throw it into the stands. He just... And he's a professional. Or you have a golfer who has like a one-foot putt, and they're just in their heads so much that they can't even hit a one-foot putt. Or, um, more applicable to us today, how about the twisties, right? If you've been watching the Olympics at all, gymnastics, Simone Biles pulled herself out of the Olympics for most of it because she had what she was calling, what they call the twisties, where in your mind, you're just, you're not there, you're not focused. And it's one thing to miss a one-foot putt. It's one thing to throw the ball in the outfield. What happens? You let in a run, you take an extra stroke. But if you have the twisties and you can't keep focused when you are doing a triple twisting double backflip, how many of you know that's dangerous, right? Like whatever you think about Simone Biles pulling out, she was jacked up in the head and she could have got hurt badly. And, and she's the best in the world, but if she just wasn't in the right frame of mind. She couldn't tell her up from her down and, and it was this mental thing that messed it. It was this type of gold fever. If you don't have a good aim on a trick like that, you're going to be in trouble. If you let the arrow loose before you have a good aim at your target, you're not going to hit the target. Now, not having a good aim at your target in any type of athletics is detrimental in a lot of ways. But here I'm going to talk more about uh, not so much the actual like aiming at a target, or aiming a baseball, but your goals, your drive, right? These athletes, like we talked about a little bit earlier with the discipline, they are ridiculously focused, like crazy focused. These athletes know exactly what they need to do to give themselves the best chance at the goal. They have coaches, they have trainers, they have dietitians, and they all give them these plans that are going to help them uh, do the right techniques, not the wrong techniques, you know, practice the right things, eat the right things, all of these physical things and mental things that are going to help them go in the right direction. They have this target, this bullseye that they are aiming at, and they know what it entails, and they are freakishly focused on it. The question then becomes, what is our bullseye? What is our target? What are we aiming at? And, and could, 
Could possibly our aim as Americans, as humans, as Christians, could our aim be off a little bit? Could, are we missing the mark, right? Are we swerving from the bullseye? Are we veering off the path? Are we ostacheo? Are we not on target? Maybe because we are being influenced by the things around us like the Ephesians were, as Paul was warning Timothy. Now, today in America, we don't have a whole lot of other religions that are really pulling at us very much, right? There's other religions around us. You know, there's Islam, there's Hinduism, there's Buddhism, there's, you know, the universalism type thing. But for the most part, we don't have a whole lot of other religions that are pulling at us the way that they were back in the Roman days. But, oh man, do we have cultural things all around us that are pulling at us. There are all sorts of ideas and opinions and movements that are contrary to the Word of God. And many times, these ideas sound good. Like, how many of you have ever heard, hey, if it feels good, if it's right for you, do it. That is a thought in our country today. You know what? Live your truth. Or, you know what? This is just who I am. It's not hurting anyone else, so what's wrong with that? Listen, is that what our target should be? Whatever I think is right, should that be my target? And people are being praised for being true to themselves, for standing up for what they think is right, even if it's completely contrary to what God believes. People are being praised for not changing what they want just because it's not what is best with God. Now, I hope you hear the problem here. We, we hear things true to themselves, true to myself, what I think is right, not changing what I want. We're making it all about me, the individual. We're making it about myself. And if we are aiming at whatever we think is right, whatever we think is right or best for us, we have swerved. We have left the path. We have missed the mark. We are ostacheo. We are off target of what Christianity really is. Do you, know what the word, do you know what the word Christian means? Christian words, again, another Greek word that, uh, that people started calling these followers of Jesus. I just gave it away. Christianos, followers of Jesus, right? People from Antioch started calling these followers of Jesus Christians, meaning followers of Jesus. And if our aim is on what we want, if our aim is on what's best for us, for me, then we are not Christians. We are not followers of Jesus. What are we? We are followers of ourselves. Ourselves. That is not what the aim of Christianity is. That's not the bullseye that God calls us to. We should be aiming for the truth of God, not, not what Paul warns Timothy of, right? Not the worthless, foolish talk that leads to more godless behavior, not myths and different doctrines that promote speculation, not false views and contradictions of false knowledge that cause other people to lose faith. All right, now, now I need you to hear this. I'm not saying that it's all about following God's word to a T because we, so that, I should say, I'm not saying it's all about following God's word to a T so that we can say, look at me, I'm perfect. I did it all right. I followed God's word. That, that's not what this is, okay? Um, 
we, have, we had this idea of a balance beam a couple weeks ago if you were here in church. Uh, and Pastor Josiah talked about this. Pastor Kyle talked about this. And we were talking about life and how this beam is like four inches wide. Insane, the moves that the girls and the, do on this beam, right? And life is like that, isn't it, a little bit? Jesus says narrow is the path that leads to life. And with life being so, the path being so narrow following God, and with all the other pulling that we have at us, sometimes we fall off the beam, don't we? Um, watch the women's individual. It was ridiculous. They said, I can't believe how many people are falling off the beam. Sometimes we fall off. And listen, listen, listen. It is not about feeling guilty when you fall off. So many times we can be like, oh, oh, whoops, sorry, God, messed up, I sinned. Well, totally blew that, didn't I? Wow, I, I stink. I'm worthless. Since I'm down here, I might as well make it worth my while. I might as well, you know, keep moving away and away, right? Like, we get so caught up in this guilt and this fear about what other people think of us. Please understand, that is not what the Christian life is about. And if that is what you're living, you are missing it. That is not what I'm telling us today. I'm not saying that we have to focus on the Bible so that we can be perfect, okay? What I'm saying is that we should make our target the Word of God. We should have a worldview that says, God loved me and Jesus died for me. I love God, therefore I'm going to line up my values and aim my goals to reflect the word of God and what it tells me. I'm not going to give in to false teachings or these values that I have or the culture has for me or these ideas that are contrary to the word of God like these passages talk about from Paul. Now, am I going to hit that bullseye every time? Absolutely not. We just talked about that. My actions are not going to hit the bullseye every time. There are times that I'm not going to aim, live out my aim. When I was sitting right down there and I shot that arrow in the red, do you think I was aiming for the red? No, I was aiming for the gold. But sometimes we get a little bit off target. I'm going to mess up. But listen to this. If my aim starts off target, there's no way I hit God's bullseye for my life. Get that, okay? If my aim starts off target, there's no way I hit God's bullseye for my life, right? If I am standing down there and I am aiming at Josiah's guitar, am I going to hit that target? I would hope not. That's a really bad shot, right? If I am aiming way off the side, if I'm aiming at what culture says, if I'm aiming at what I want, I am not going to hit God's target for my life. And I want to get my aim for my life, my purpose, my beliefs, my values, all from the word of God. If I do that, then living that out comes from walking out the balanced relationship, again, back to the balance beam, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Josiah talked about this. Like someone there holding your hand, guiding you, encouraging you, uh, all that way. It's so much easier to live life when you have the right aim, when you're focusing off the end of that balance beam instead of right here at myself, when I have the right aim and I remember that the Holy Spirit is with me. That's what it becomes. But I have to start with the right aim. It's about understanding that the Holy Spirit is there for us that he wants to guide us into all truth. 
But the honest truth is this. Many Christians don't even know what God's target is for their lives. Many Christians don't know what the Bible says. I hear people say things like this, whether it's people I know or people online or on videos or whatever. They say, you know, I don't really know the Bible very well, but I read an article one time that that's not the same, (laughs) right? I mean, I don't really know the Bible very well, but here's what I think. No, no. Like, that's fine. You can give your opinion, but it's not the truth. It's not the aim. It's not the word of God. If we don't know the word of God, if we don't establish our target, we can very easily suffer from gold fever. We can very easily act before we establish our aim on the right target. We need to read our Bibles. We need to study our Bibles. And there are so many great resources out there that can help us dig deeper into the Bible. Because I have heard so many times, I've tried to read the Bible, I don't get it. I don't have enough time. I can't remember. Listen to me. There are free online commentaries where guys who study the Bible for their life, that's what they do. They're way smarter than I am. They write down their thoughts about the cultural context of what this verse means and what it meant to the original audience and now how we can apply it to our life. There are free resources out there like that. So for people to say, I don't get it, well, well, go look at this guy. This guy gets it, and he's explaining it to you. There are free online Bible studies that take you deeper into a passage of scripture and help you flesh it out and figure out how you can apply it to your life. You go online and Google Bible study on the book of James, you're gonna find a billion of them and you go through that and they can help you. There are free apps that can help you find a Bible reading plan. And check this out, you can even set a reminder in this app that every day at eight o'clock or six o'clock or five o'clock, it will send you an alert on your phone, bring, and it'll be like, oh yeah, I should read my Bible. Just two weeks ago, I got a text from a 16-year-old, 16-year-old boy, even. (laughs) Crazy, this adds to the story. 16-year-old girl, you might be like, okay. No, 16-year-old young man. He's in my youth small group, and he he texted me, and he said, hey, you want to start reading the Bible with me? And I was like, yes. Like, first I was like, wait, did I read that right? He's like, do you want to start reading the Bible with me? And so I messaged him back. I'm like, let's do this. So we've been reading a chapter of the Bible, one chapter of the Bible, every week. And you might think, that sounds kind of not very much, one chapter. So what we do is we read it four different ways. We read it one time, just normal through, and then we read it a second time through, kind of as we're praying about it. And then on another day, we, um, we, we, we outline and highlight and make notes on what we think as we are reading it, what God kind of speaks to us. And then the last day, I've given him a commentary that I like, and we read the commentary, which is like this, like you scroll four times on your computer, it's legit commentary. And, and then after that, after we have kind of that context, we read it again. And then Sunday night after prayer, um, we have prayer every Sunday night over at our Sock Center location from 6 to 7. So at 7 o'clock, we walk over to my office, and we sit down, and we discuss the Bible. A 16-year-old guy. This amazing story. And I was so excited. Like, I was jacked when I read this message. But then after I got through all the, you know, like, yeah, let's do it. I'll see you this Sunday. I started thinking about it. And I got a little sad, too. 
Because why did I get excited about this? It's because it's so rare. It's, it's so rare. The desire to read and study and understand and put into practice God's word is so rare these days that I get super excited when someone does it. And now please, this is what I was talking about earlier. Understand, I do not want you to feel guilty for what I just said. Okay? I struggle with this tension all the time in every area of my, my 10-year-old son who is sitting right here. He, I, I'll come home a couple days a week and be like, hey, what'd you read in your Bible today? And he'll be like, oh, I forgot. And I'm kind of snarky just a little bit, if you know me. Um, and I say things like, oh, did you forget to play video games today? Well, no. Oh, did you forget to get your uh, money after you did your chores? Well, no. Oh, Okay. Just kind of walk away. Like I struggle with this tension between like making people feel guilty about it because I don't want people to feel guilty for not getting to the word of God every single day. And you might not believe me, but I really, really don't want that. But I really, really, really do want people to get into God's word. And so like my, the emotion that I'm trying to invoke in you this morning is not, wow, I am so pathetic I can't, I'm a terrible Christian. I don't read my Bible at all. Pastor Gory thinks I'm an idiot. No, this is what I want to invoke in you this morning. Come on. We can do this. We are better than this. God wants more of you. God wants you to follow him. God wants you to know his truth. Like, come on. Whatever has been in the past, it's in the past. Move on from here forward. Let's get on the right path. Let's get our aim focused on the right thing. I want to do it because the foundation and the aim of everything we are as followers of Christ comes from the Bible. That's why I want you to read the Bible so bad. Carrie, would you please come at this time? In fact, let's do this. Let's have everybody stand with me right now. Now, if I wanted to be an archer, I would put all my focus right there on that target. I would just eagle eye in, block out everything else and focus on the gold part, the bullseye. If I really want to be a follower of Jesus, I would put my focus on his target, the word of God, the Bible, the truth, Maybe, maybe you're hearing these words today and maybe God's just nudging you a little bit and you're feeling like, I need to get on track. I need to shift my aim. I need to shift my focus back to Jesus, back on the Bible. Listen, we have resources that can help you. There's online resources, yes, but you can even go to our website and click on growth tools and then click on Bible study and you can get, we have a, a page of resources right on our website that will help you learn how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, give you some of these resources. You could shoot me a message. Go on our website, Corey at River of Life, or that was my old one, Corey at rlcmn.church. Like, shoot me an email. Say, Corey, how are you doing this? I had a lady do that this last week after, after I spoke in Sock Center. She's like, tell me what you're doing. Tell, you, tell me what you're doing with this kid. Can you send me those resources? I'll send it to you. I'll help you come up with your own format. Like I said, search online 
Or again, ask me. I'll send you the commentary that I'm using. I just want to see people be passionate about God and his word so that we can live for him and impact the world for him. If you want that for yourself, if you desire to get into God's word more and to shift your aim towards him, to get back on target, I want you to make a commitment to God today. And I'm gonna have you raise your hand in a moment. By raising your hand though, you're saying this, this week, this week, maybe even today, I'm going to do something to get into God's word more. Maybe you read the Bible an hour every day. Hey, guess what? Go an hour and 10. Maybe you read the Bible zero. Go for five minutes, okay? Whatever it is, I'm gonna do something this week to get into God's word more than before. So here's what I wanna do. If you're in this place and you say, I feel like God's saying, hey, this is for you. We can do this. I just want you as a sign of commitment to, e to God and to each other and to our church family. Just say, that's me. I'm doing that this week. Who's with me? I'm going to get into the Bible more this week. Don't know what it is. Don't know how it's going to be yet, but something, something. This is so good. I want to be a church that is on target after God. Let us not be ostacheo. God, you see the people that want to get back on track with you more, to follow you more, to read more of what you have, that want to be on target. First, first of all, God, we need the desire to read your word. Help us with that. Give us that. And then when we read it, help us to understand it. Help us to find the resources to help us understand it. And of course, God, give us the discipline and the drive to internalize it and move us to action. We don't want to just be hearers of the word, but doers. God, help us to do it. Help us to know your word so that we can set our sights on the target that you have set for us. Let today be the day that starts a new course for us. Now, one more thing. We always want to give people an opportunity to give their life to Jesus for the very first time to start following him, to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus for the very first time. Because I know that there are people probably in this room right now that you aren't following Jesus and you've never made the commitment. Maybe there's some of us who have made the commitment and we've fallen off a little bit, okay? This can be you too, but more so, this is for the person here who says, I have never made the commitment to ask Jesus into my life, to, to recognize Jesus as my savior and tell him that I'm going to follow him. Because check it out. The Word of God tells us that Jesus died on the cross for us. Pastor Josiah talked about this in worship. He died for you because he loves you so much. There is sin in our life. When we fall off the balance beam of life, that is called sin. When we do something contrary to God's Word, that is called sin. And sin separates us from God. And here's why it separates us. Not because God looks at us and says, you're dirty, you're ugly, you're nasty. No, it's because think about a, like a super powerful, like floodlight. If a shadow, if, if that, if that floodlight were to go over the place of a shadow, a darkness, what would happen to that shadow? Poof, it's gone. Our darkness, our sin walks into the perfect, glorious presence of God. And it just cannot exist there. And this is why we need Jesus to come in and to take away our sin so that we can be made right with God, so that we can not only in eternity be with God, but even right here, right now, live for him. And so here's the question, and I would love everybody to just bow your head and close your eyes. Time of privacy, but also just 
a time maybe for you to focus on God, a time of reflection where you can block everything out and just hear from him. Maybe he's speaking to you right now and he's saying, I'm here. I'm at the the door of your heart. I am knocking. I want to be a part of your life. Would you let me in? And this morning, all it takes, listen, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And this morning, if you are here and you say, I've never made that decision to follow, be a follower of Christ. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and truly committed to living for him. But this morning, I'm feeling God knocking and I want to open the door and I want to start that. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Nobody else looking around, just me. I want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else who says, that's me? I want to do that this morning. I want to start this relationship with him. Thank you. Anybody else? Here's what I want to do also. If there's anybody in this room who just feels like, hey, I've made that decision in the past, but I'm way off the cheo here. I am way off target. I have walked away from God, and I need to get back on track with God. I want to recommit my life to him right now. If that's you, would you just put your hand up? Yeah, amen. Anybody else? Awesome. Awesome. Here's what I want to pray. I want everybody to pray this prayer with me. And if you are making this decision for the first time, or if you are recommitting your life to him today, I want you to mean this with all of your heart. These aren't magic words. This is a hard thing between you and God. But when you say it out loud, there's a reason the Bible tells us to confess with our mouth. It makes it more real, and it makes the enemy shudder and shake and get scared. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to poke Satan in the eyeball for a second, and we're going to pray out loud, and we're going to say this. Everybody pray this with me. God, I thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I believe that you are my savior. Please forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate that together. That's the best decision you can ever make. Come on. That's awesome. That is awesome. Now, if you made that decision today, please, Don't walk out of here without doing something about it, okay? I want you to either take a Connect card and write, like, follower of Jesus, or I gave my life to Jesus, or I want you to come and find me, or Pastor Josiah. I want you to tell us about it, because if you walk out of here without making a step in that direction, the enemy can very, very easily come at you with his false teachings that we talked about today, and he can make you swerve back off track. Come and tell somebody about it. Write it on your Connect card just so that we can follow up with you, okay? If you'd like to continue to spend time with God right now, maybe maybe you even right here right now are like, I need to start reading my Bible now. Like, you can do that. You can sit here, crack your Bible open, open your phone, pull out that Bible app, and read if that's what you need to do. Whatever it is that you need to do, feel free to stick around. Otherwise... Thank you so much for being here. I pray that God moves in your life in a powerful way this week. Thank you again. Have a great week.